to League One Fun, presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. I'm Ira Jersey. Jason is having such a good time in Europe that he decided to stay a little longer. <laughs> he was in Berlin uh, doing some scratching or whatever he does there in his nightclub scene. He's a uh, you know, millennial versus a Gen Xer. I haven't done that kind of thing before. But helping me out tonight from Capital Combustion in the beautiful city of Lansing is the BG podcast host extraordinaire and has the best Roughneck Scarves advertising read that you can have. (laughs) Weston, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me back, Ira. That's why they pay me the big bucks for those ad reads. Um, I also promise not to expose my chest like Jason during this uh, podcast. Yeah, we really have to get Jason some clothes with uh, buttons, right? <laughs> just sit there on. So it's just you, weird. He just went out, no undershirt. That shirt just unbuttoned. Uh, so no one told him. Embarrassing for him. But you know what? He, he can he can pull that off. I don't think yeah, you or I could. Look, he looks good. He looks good. No one, no one could deny that for sure. Check out check out at Home Sweet Soccer's Twitter feed to find out what we're talking about. So, Weston, why don't we get to the very little bit of USL League One news that we have. Firstly, on a, uh, a kind of a dour and sour note, this past weekend, Lucas Coutinho from South Georgia Tormenta received a head injury, a head trauma uh, during their match with FC Tucson, uh, the FC Tucson goaltender, and he had a, uh, had a, a bit of a collision. Uh, there was a 16-minute delay. An ambulance came out to the field, and he took w- went to the hospital. The good news is the team noted both uh, the team owners, Darren and Netra Van Tessel, they noted today that he actually had walked with assistance and that uh, he that looked like he was going to be taken out of the Noro intensive care unit at the, the local hospital and uh, seemed to be out of uh, imminent danger. Uh, so we do hope from everyone at the Beautiful Game Network, League One Fund, Capital Congestion, uh, Combustion, everyone else uh, around the league, we uh, we wish Lucas Coutinho a very uh, speedy and, uh, and, and most importantly, a full recovery. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely scary. Um, we dealt with the same thing with Lansing, with uh, Elma N4 in the uh, Open Cup. Uh, the updates for Lucas have been a little slower, so uh, a little scarier even then. Um, but, yeah, props to the USL also for flying out his parents. Uh, definitely a class move, and like you said, just hope for a full recovery. Yeah, and and I, I've really been happy that uh, you, you know that that the Van Tassels have been keeping up with what's going on. Obviously, they feel very invested with uh, with their team, and and also letting uh, the fan and the whole USL and soccer community at large know what's going on because uh, you know we do do that. So check out the uh, um, love for Lucas hashtag. It's a hashtag love for Lucas on uh, Twitter, Instagram, wherever else you do. If uh, you know to show your support and give your prayers to them. Yeah, I think this is also a good time to remind everyone that starting next season, USL is going to try and have a new concussion protocol for temporary substitutes when um, when a head injury is involved. And so, so what will happen? And and they're working with IFAB, with the basically the rulemaking body over in England, about 
about how to do this. But basically, if there's a potential head injury, that there can be a substitution on, uh, of that player until it's known whether or not that player has a concussion or is at risk of a concussion and uh, is not going to come back on the field. That would then become a permanent substitution. But initially, there would be a temporary substitution. So that hopefully will be implemented next year. It wouldn't have helped in this particular situation. But uh, if there is something, I think that that's just one of the ways that USL is trying to be in the forefront of uh, of of the league and the rules and, and making sure that uh, the sport is as safe as it can be uh, for all the players and everyone involved. It, it could have played a role with the uh, goalkeeper for Tucson who also hit his head. Yeah. Um, that's a very that's a be, very good point. It, with the delay, I think it was long enough for them to be able to check him out. But let's if Lucas wasn't taken out the way he was. That goalkeeper, because he came back in, uh, that goalkeeper would have had some time to uh, come out and uh, get a check. So it could have still played a role. Just the long delay, I think, was the only reason why uh, it wouldn't have here. But, yeah, definitely it's a great rule change. Yeah, that, that's a very fair point. So it's about two to four minutes to, to do the entire concussion protocol. So, um, yeah, so in that situation it wouldn't have been. But, yes, uh, in, in other situations certainly it would be good. Um, so just another reminder, we're about two weeks away from the roster freeze date for all the rosters. So I know you, we've had a couple of new players recently. Um, none that I saw this past week, Wesson, did you see any new signings by anyone over the past, uh, over the past week or so? I, I, uh, I couldn't find any, but, uh, if there were, please let us know. Hit us up on Twitter. Uh, but you know, we're coming close. We have a couple of key players. And in fact, one of the matches that Wes and I were watching as, uh, right before we started recording tonight, um, you know, Hurst for, uh, for Chattanooga was looking pretty good. He played a role last week as well. Uh, so when we get to that game, we'll talk a little bit about him, but, um, uh, but Wesson, do you know of any other signings that occurred this week? Um, I didn't see any, but I believe um, I saw this week that there's a rule where it's like five. You have to, I think, you have to be in the 18 for five games to qualify for the playoffs. Uh, I believe some sort of announcer mentioned that. So if if a team does bring on a player, they have. I mean, they don't have a lot of time. They they got to be in the 18 pretty much a lot of the rest of the games to be able to play in the playoffs. So, well, I, I think they, I think if they're on, in the roster and then they play the games in between the roster freeze date and the playoffs, then, then they, yeah. they would be involved. Yeah. So uh, that sounds about right. So week 21 in the books, let's uh, first game of week 22 was being played uh, tonight, Wednesday night, as we record, the first game was Friday night. I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say about this game because I've already heard you say a lot about this game, Weston. This was Orlando City B hosting Lansing Ignite, and Lansing dropped two, and OCB was only able to get one back. You had goals in the 22nd minute by Xavier Gomez, in the 54th by Rafa Mensingen, and then in the 71st you had uh, a little bit of a comeback goal by William Bagru for, uh, for OCB. Uh, just a couple of the uh, a couple of the statistics. So the trash stat was forty uh, percent for OCB and sixty percent for Lansing. Uh, interceptions were eleven to ten. Corners one corner for OCB, ten for Lansing. Just to show you about the attack. Yeah, um, you know, Wes and I. I watched this game. Not a huge surprise. You know, OCB's defense is a sieve. Um, you know, they, they occasionally score some goals. So, you, you know, you've seen some uh, some decent goal scoring opportunities on occasion from them. But but that back line is just absolutely te- terrible. Um, no, you guys need to keep winning games. Right. And this was an important game for you guys since since you have the most games played already in the league. Yeah, a lot of weeks on the, 
first off, I don't have that much to say. I'm gonna, I'm here as an unbiased commentator, okay? So I'm not trying to, to go too crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you this one. You can be a little biased in this one. Be unbiased in the other one. Uh, so... Uh, eight to one in big chances uh, in Lansing's three nothing victory. It was only six, so it just showed they were more dominant in some ways, even though it wasn't quite as dominant of a scoreline. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, Lansing's long ball accuracy thirty eight out of sixty nine. Koyfik in particular nine out of twelve uh, started a lot of attacks that way. And yeah, once they got to the back line, they weren't stopping much. Um, Lansing kind of stopped themselves more than anything else. Uh, a couple rough one on one misses by Toomey. Uh, which is something we worried about a little bit with the layoff. But, yeah, I mean, it was I, – I called all these last three games must win, and I've been kind of more, you know, on our podcast, a lot of people are like, oh, this game's must win, this game's must win. I've been a little more tentative about calling games must win. But these three facing Orlando with the games in hand, you got to win these. They took care of business. They, they look good. Uh, now they go into their next home stretch. Uh, you know, and uh, – uh, Orlando really couldn't get on the counter, and I, I give uh, Gomez and Sert a lot of credit for that. Uh, Gomez, I thought, since he's kind of transitioned to box-to-box, I think he's one of the better players in the whole league. Um, and, and, you know, Rafa put in another goal, one player of the month last month. I he, I think he's up there in the best player in the league discussion as well right now. Yeah. I, I, you have to admit, though, on this one, Rafa's goal was a little bit lucky. I mean, the, oh, the yeah. ball, Terrible ball clearance. Happened. That back line. <laughs> was well, the other... The, the theme of the game is sticking with the ball. You know, both Lansing's goals were they stuck with balls that kind of took bad bounces or lucky bounce in X's case, but they stuck with it. And even Orlando's goal, uh, Bagru, you know, stuck with it after Cleveland kind of coughed it up. So, uh, you know, we see, and I, we'll get, I think we'll get to it with a couple other games, a couple goals, but uh, a lot of goals in this league right now with maybe that lack of experience via like just ball watching and, uh, or just, you know, people not sticking with the play. So, all the goals in this game were players sticking with the play, but yeah, Lansing got one more. Yeah, I think on, on the other side, on the defensive side, I think this is the difference between League One players and, and maybe some players in, in higher leagues in MLS or uh, or even the championship. It's really that that making defensive errors, like like just not making those defensive errors that allows the other team to score, right? And that's, that's something that seems to happen, I don't want to say a lot more in League One than in other leagues, but it seems like, like the attackers are able to kind of create those, that pressure that causes the mistakes that, that the back lines may uh, make and and i think especially ocb with you know the, the players being so young that's probably particularly true and and tfc2 is is the same way as well um north texas doesn't seem to quite have that problem um they they had a problem scoring until this week of course anything else uh that you want to mention on this particular match i, I do have one other question for you before okay. we go but do you have anything else first uh, well, just to add a little spice, um, you know, uh, three games ago, there's someone that I won't name that said put Lansing's over under at 8.5 for the last eight games of the year. <laughs> well, they hit the over after three games, nine points. So how about that? That's why some people don't set Vegas lines, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So with given that that your game schedule is not quite as condensed as other people, so I don't think you have any Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday games for the rest of the season. Um, if, if memory serves, you know, do, do you think that having that rest in between is going to help Lansing down the stretch and be able to be healthy for the playoffs? Whereas a few of the other teams that are kind of vying have a little bit more of a condensed schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Um, somehow Lansing has stayed quite healthy, uh, through, through much more games than every other team, uh, a little more condensed schedule. Now they have a lot more rest and, uh, you know, I talked about on my pod, the uh, the Premier League uh, festive schedule. You always see a few more injuries during that. Uh, when you play a lot, 
more risk of injury when you're stretching out your body like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's a big edge for Lansing. Obviously, doesn't mean no injuries can happen, but bodies are more well-rested. They're more well-taken care of, less likely to get an injury. So if Lansing can make the playoffs, uh, odds they have better odds than most of having a healthy roster going in. Well, second place right now, but other teams around them have a few games in hand. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But still, second points uh, points per game. So still yep. looking uh, pretty good at the moment. And they, they were fifth uh, going into the week. So that's that's how quick it can jump in this league with this table right now. Well, that's mainly because most of the your rivals either lost or got a draw. Which <laughs> so. is what I was cheering for. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> so the one game I think that you were hoping that the uh, – the team right below you right now would uh, would lose was Chattanooga Red Wolves, who scored zero as they hosted North Texas SC, who scored two. So in this game, Texas was playing fast. I mean, they were really knocking the ball around. It was something that they hadn't done the last couple of weeks. So I don't know if Coach Quill just said to them, look, guys, you have to move the ball faster. You have to get it off your foot. One and two touch. Don't try to take everyone on. And North Texas just – they kept – they kept um, passing and moving, and they kept the ball so much, and they were able to thwart at the same time Chattanooga's counter opportunities. In part because Chattanooga didn't have enough of the ball to really uh, make uh, a lot of space to run onto. Uh, so you had in this game, you had goals in the 35th minute by Callum Montgomery, and in the 87th minute by Ronaldo Damas. But but after that first goal, Weston, I didn't really feel that Chattanooga really had you know, too many significant chances. In fact, in this game, they only had a single shot on a target. Yeah, I think, I think Fat Mob gave him two big chances. Uh, uh, so in the second half, the first half was a terrible half for Chattanooga. Um, uh, they only had one touch in the box all, all half. They had almost no chances. I think Texas had 10 shots in the first half and to one, I think for Chattanooga, it was a pretty dominant first half by, uh, by Texas. Second half Hurst comes in and then, uh, Beat, or uh, Zaid comes in a little later, and Chattanooga didn't necessarily create dangerous chances on the counter, but they did set up some set piece opportunities, which is where some of their best chances came. So it was a little more even second half, but yeah, Texas definitely looked like the better team. Uh, I think this is the healthiest they've been. I believe Damis hasn't been playing full games, so I, I think that played a big factor that he played the whole game. Uh, and but yeah, I mean it was Chattanooga is not. For the better teams in the league, they're one of the lesser ones in terms of creating big chances. Uh, they, they rely on being clinical. So a uh, yellow card suspension for uh, Beattie, their best finisher. It was always going to be a tough one for Chattanooga, even at home. And, uh, yeah, Texas took full advantage. Yeah, e- even today, even though Tormenta was doing well, like B- you could tell that Beattie is kind of the fulcrum of the offense for – uh, for the Red Wolves and him not being there, just they, they were not did not look nearly as dangerous in my view. Uh, you didn't have a lot of clearances in this game. It was kind of strange given that uh, given that Chattanooga was obviously hanging back and kind of letting North Texas have the ball, which is not an unusual thing for teams to attempt against North Texas. Uh, they didn't have a lot of clearances. They still only had eight clearances, which I, I thought was uh, was interesting. You know, since we're we're both kind of stats guys, I thought that uh, <laughs> I thought I'd bring bring that up. But we'll talk about that a little later. We actually have a question about. 
about that from a listener. Oh boy! So uh, <laughs> my so listeners are coming to this pod to troll me now. It's great. Yeah, well, that's probably so. I I won't let them troll you too much because I'm uh, probably even more nerdy than you are. So so one of one of the things both of these goals came off of kind of set piece opportunities in a so and and I think that that that's going to be something key that we're going to talk about in a couple of these games is you know it not so long ago you had someone whose name maybe I shouldn't mention but you know set pieces set pieces set pieces um David Rodriguez on the first goal took an outswinging corner kick from the left side Ronaldo Damas tries to settle it off his thigh but it bounces two yards in front of him uh the, the Chattanooga defense just didn't close down the ball so there were three players around the ball no one really closed them down Damas takes a left-footed shot and and here's the question that I have for for you on this particular goal is Mangles might have seen the ball a little late but he was able to get down but he didn't smother it and because he didn't smother it, it pops out right in front of him and Montgomery taps it home. We've seen Mangles do this a few times. Do you think that there's – I mean, I, you know, Mangles is a very good goaltender. We we know that he can block shots. We know that he can make spectacular saves. He's, you know, been had save of the week multiple times this year already. Um, he's really kept the Chattanooga in a lot of games. But the last couple of weeks, I've seen him kind of have, you know, butterfingers for a couple of goals, uh, and and this was one of them. Yeah, I mean, when you when you lose sight of a ball, it can be easy to kind of lose your timing and let go of it. That <laughs> that actually happened to me in my beer league uh, this week. So I'm especially sympathetic. But uh, yeah, I mean, the same thing happened to like I, I think Cleveland's a pretty elite goalkeeper, Lansing's goalkeeper in most ways. But that's something I've seen from him too. Uh, so. I, I do think it's a line of sight thing. I still think he's one of the better keepers in the league, so I didn't put it on him as much as some of the ball watching from Chattanooga. Uh, I thought that was the bigger issue there. Yeah. And the second goal, 87th minute, it was late in the game, really put the game away. Uh, Arturo Rodriguez uh, took a free kick from the left side uh, about 23 yards out. Um, you could definitely tell it because it was that it was 23 yards out too, because you could see the uh, the, the very faint football lines on there. So from 23 yards out, Arturo Rodriguez sent in the uh, sent in a ball right to the penalty spot, a driven uh, driven ball. Damis was able to step in front of his marker uh, right toward the near post and redirects it in back to the far post. Good header by Damis. He's back. He's on top. Ronaldo Damis is the Ronaldo of USL League One. Yeah, I mean, he does. You know, Papi took away the hype from him, but that, that dude's legit. Like, he deserves it, and I think he's starting to get it now that he's taking such a commanding goalkeeper or uh, you know goal lead. Uh, but yeah, I mean, zonal marking from Chattanooga looked like, and a bunch of hands up afterwards. It's like who was supposed to mark, <laughs> pick him up. So uh, yeah, I mean, set piece defense. That's where you score roughly thirty three percent of your goals. Um, you know, we've seen Richmond improve a little bit as they've tightened up their set piece defense, and. Uh, this is not the time of year Chattanooga wants to start letting up there. So that's something they got to work on in training. Yeah, for sure. So moving on to the next match, which uh, I know, Weston, you were able to watch. I was not able to watch. was uh, Greenville Triumph 0 versus forward Madison, who also scored 0. I'll just give you a couple of statistics before, Weston, you give us our, our, your overview. Uh, possession 59% in, to 41 in favor of Greenville. Uh, both teams were offside three times. 480 passes with an 82% passing accuracy for Greenville. So they, uh, you know, given that they had the ball nearly 60% of the time, that's not uh, completely surprising. 21 crosses by Greenville, 
uh, but only two completed, whereas uh, Madison had f- 13 crosses but completed five of them. Uh, shots were 9-10, to 10, so pretty close. And actually, Madison outshot Greenville, even though Greenville had much more of the ball. Uh, had three shots on uh, Madison had three shots on target compared to Greenville's uh, one. Greenville kept shooting from outside the box, so six of their nine shots were from outside the box. Um, Nil-nil draw, wasn't that much activity for the keepers. Dallas J had three saves and one punch. Silvestre had a single save. Both keepers basically saved all the shots that were on frame. This was, however, the 10th clean sheet for Dallas J this season. So the Guamese International, and that is Guamese, by the way, I looked it up, (laughs) uh, International uh, made that. And because of the clean sheet, Everyone in Greenville can go get three dollars off their car wash. I don't know if uh, you knew that, Weston. That you know, um, I, I did. They it. advertise it quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very exciting so. development. You know, I, I mean, I guess, like what? Like, I, I mean, around Detroit area, it's like you know, you get free chicken nuggets or something. There's like a hat trick for the Red Wings or something. It's probably a dollar value. So, I mean, it's three bucks, man. I guess I'll take it. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a very evenly matched game. Uh, 0-0 in the season series between these two teams. No, no one can score a goal. First game was the uh, big Blizzard game, obviously, but hey. Uh, but, you know, I, Greenville's probably the number one defensive team in the league. Uh, Madison, you could argue, too, maybe number three behind Tormenta. So, uh, you know, a tough game as you'd expect. Uh, I, I'd say Green, you brought up possession on the crosses. I, I think Greenville's probably on offense. They were able to get into the final third. Um, but once they get there, they get a little flustered, and I thought they were playing too many crosses in. Like I said, 21, only too accurate. Uh, Madison's problem on the other end was uh, Greenville's press gave them some hard times. Um, they were only uh, 17 out of 65 accurate long balls trying to get out of that press. So I thought that was that was kind of the story. I thought Madison moved the ball a little better when they were in Greenville's final third. They just couldn't quite finish a couple times. Uh, Jay had a nice one nice save in there, too. Uh, Greenville shooting outside the box, uh, continuing that, as you said. Uh, they did have one pretty nice one on frame that Silvestre had to get up for. That's That was one of those balls where height is a big deal for a goalkeeper. I don't know if a shorter goalkeeper would have gotten to that one. So uh, great save by Silvestre. Uh, evenly matched game. I, I know you bring up your boy Amsberg a lot. He had a great game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he won, he won eight out of nine duels, six of seven aerial challenges, had nine clearances and five recoveries, you know. So, Omsberg was, uh, uh, was, uh, did pretty well. So, I, I have a question for you. So, one of, the, one of the people who's in the hunt for the Golden Boot race has been Jake Keegan. He's been on fire the last month or so, had, a, um, had scored a number of goals, a number of match winners. Did, what did you see from his movement? Was Madison just able to close him down, or was uh, do, do you think he just had an off game uh, that night? Yeah, I, I just think that strong center back pairing of Madison was able to shut him down. Um, he did have a near goal. It's called back through offsides. Uh, tough. The camera isn't on him when the pass leaves the uh, Greenville player's foot, but it looked like he was offsides uh, based on the uh the camera but that was a close one for him uh, on the other end probably the other story of the game which i didn't mention is that uh madison had their own goal that was called back uh via offsides it was pretty controversial and uh i paused and i looked and obviously you don't have the greatest uh camera angle in the world uh but it was it was your boy omsberg he, he's he was uh, getting out there um and it looked like he was kept on by uh, both Siler and hemmings i believe he was past his the guy defending him lee which is maybe what the ref saw but I thought there was probably still two other people keeping him on. Like I said, not um, not easy to tell 
sometimes with these cameras, but uh, with the angles they're at. But uh, Madison, between having maybe a few more chances and and between that call, they probably feel a little more hard done by this one. I think they probably deserve the victory. You know, it would be good if if ESPN Plus or the teams would could have two static cameras right around facing the 18. Uh, I think that that would help a lot. You know, because right now the way that the production is being done is there's basically only two cameras. It looks like per match. So if they just the had same spot. <laughs> yeah, and if the, yeah, exactly. One's just higher than the other. If if they had two static cameras that were off right around the 18, just facing that way, you'd at least have another angle to look at and and be able to see. I, I think at a better angle, even if it's just for replays uh, of goals and and certainly set pieces in that kind of situation would would be would be fine. I don't think you even need to have uh, have them manned. Quite frankly, you just you know put two cameras, point them, have them you know go basically in the final look at the final third of each. Uh, in front of each goal, and I think that would be that would be spectacular. So anyway, that's going to be an email that I'll send to the league and to, and <laughs> well, to ESPN Plus. If VAR is ever going to happen this league, something like that needs to happen because if we had VAR in this game, which could have been needed, I mean, it, even though I'm pretty sure Madison scored that goal, they still might not have been able to overturn it just because the camera angle is just not great. So right. um, yeah. if there is VAR, we definitely need more than what we have because it would just slow down the game for a lot of calls that might not be able to be overturned because you just don't have good enough view. Yeah, that's that's very much fair. Anything else on this game, Weston? Uh, you know, uh, I said, we'll talk about the table in a bit, but, you know, I said Madison isn't necessarily in trouble yet, but, you know, they still have two Richmond games. They're going to have to take care of business because – that was a that was a tough one for them to drop those uh, the three points on. And I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm not sure Richmond's a give me really, even though they're toward the bottom of the table because they played TFC two, which you know was was only is in eighth place, and Richmond kickers in second place. They wound up drawing two to two. Jacob Schaffelberg started this match for TFC, which uh, he had been with the first team for a little while. Chattanooga tied it up. Oh, so. Oh yeah, that's good for me. <laughs> just so, you, just so you know, we are. Uh, Weston keeps turning his head to the side because we're recording during the second half of the Chattanooga South uh, South Georgia game down in uh, down in Statesboro. So uh, I'll watch that a little bit later. But he's uh, obviously very excited at the moment. Uh, Love for draws, baby. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so yeah draws with goals which this one was so richmond kickers scored two tfc2 scored two like i was mentioning jacob schaffelberg uh came back down from the first team he started this game uh scott thompson doesn't start came in uh very late like in the 86th minute just Probably before TF- tfc scored yeah he's my he's my boy uh <laughs> tfc tfc scored right after scott came in it was not his fault though uh we'll talk a little bit about that uh goals in the fifth minute by dan Daniel Jackson and uh, in the 23rd minute by Daniel Jackson. So Richmond goes up 2-0 in the first half. Jordan Perusa, who, uh, you know, we talk about Ronaldo Damas. We talk about Ricardo Pepe. And obviously those guys from North Texas got a lot. But I think that Jordan Perusa really needs to be in this conversation for great young strikers with a lot of potential. His movement is amazing. And when you watch this left-footed free kick that he took in the 53rd minute, now, granted, I think in part of it's luck because it looked to me like it went right through the Richmond wall. So he takes a free kick from about 20 yards out. Um, it goes 
either under or through people's legs uh, in the wall and winds up right in the far post uh, corner. Um, so, Weston, I'll ask you what you think happened. But but anyway, I, th- I think, you know, I can't talk enough about Jordan. And I think that he uh, he deserves more props and maybe he's getting so far. Um, part of it's probably that his team is toward the bottom of the table instead of the top. But nonetheless, uh, look out for Jordan Perusa when he starts playing for TFC2 instead of um, instead of Josie Altidore. When he starts playing for the first team, I should say. Uh, 87th minute, Tariq Muhammad ties it up uh, from a service from uh, Matt Serbley. Uh, bad set piece defending again. You know, Weston, we were talking about set pieces before in um, in some of the, the prior games in the North Texas win over Chattanooga. Richmond gives up two. They basically lost two points because of two set piece goals. This has been their Achilles heel all season. What does Coach Bulo have to do to get these guys to, you know, make their marks? Uh, that was a lot of the uh, Total Soccer show this week revolved around that. They had an interview with Bulo. It was pretty interesting. He talked about set-piece defending. Um, he did say that – I haven't watched as much Richmond, so I'll take his word that they have improved quite a bit, he said. But, yeah, this was them kind of lapsing back into some old habits. He said he said it was all communication issues. So um, that's something he, – he took the blame for it in the interview, so it's just something they got to get worked out. But, yeah, I mean – and I've seen this with Lansing. You know, you see these teams. Um, Lansing's a big problem early in the season, letting up big leads late. They improved, and then all of a sudden it kind of started to hit them again late. So uh, sometimes with these coaches, if you have kind of a weakness, it's something you cannot forget about, even if it looks like it might be improving. you got to keep uh, improving every day. So, uh, But, yeah, I definitely recommend that interview. It was really interesting. Yeah, so Total Soccer Show does a Richmond Kickers Weekly to go along with your listening of um, River City 93 with our friend uh, Elliot Barr and uh, and his co-host. Uh, Shouts reckon- to Elliot. Uh, a grumpy pod from him. I, I felt bad for him. <laughs> definitely, he he was definitely a two points lost rather than one point gained uh, kind of day on this day. So, well, and um, do you want to talk about that the the table at this point? Um, uh, well, we have, uh, have I think okay. two more two more games, and and we'll talk a little bit about the table because okay. there were a lot of changes in it. I will say about this game though is that after there was definitely a lot of urgency from Richmond. I think Richmond really felt that they could win, and they had even before the second goal, they had a I think the more quality chances. But after uh, TFC two scored that second goal, they had a ton of I think three or four really good looks. And uh, you know, Weston, you might have the uh, the, the key chances maybe uh, stat uh, nearby, but. Just one is, you know, Scotty Thompson had a great cross from the left-hand side. Daniel Jackson redirected the ball, went maybe a yard wide, so it, it just wasn't great. It was came in really fast. Uh, Richmond really clogged up the middle, frustrating TFC2 attacks. So the, it got, you know, the game got a little bit chippy again, just like it did uh, the first time that these guys met. Um, but, you know, obviously their set pieces were, were you know, not particularly good. So, Wesson, my question for you with these two teams is that which of these teams, if either, uh, do you think has – well, it's not it's not a if either. Which of these teams do you think has a better shot at making the playoffs? Now, TFC2 is slightly <laughs> ahead of Richmond in the table, but it's really not – R- Richmond has a game, though, to, extra to play, too, I believe. Yeah, that's, so. that's right. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I thought – I said I said on my pod, at this point, I told all the Lansing fans, you can cheer for – Richmond and Toronto at this point to win games. I, I think they're pretty much out of it. Um, I I did like well I said we'll talk about it later, but I did a kind of a projection based on home and away points per game, and 
if you look at that and you look at how many points Toronto and uh, Richmond have left, they both have to like Toronto has to win seven out of their eight last games just to have a chance, and they they still could miss. Uh, and Richmond has to win seven of their last nine and maybe even draw one in there. So maybe draw both. Uh, so it's that's tough sledding, man. Uh, to, so we'll talk about it more. But Tucson has a tim- similarly tough road, but they at least have almost all home games ahead. That makes me feel at least they have somewhat of a chance. And they have a couple extra points on them. But yeah, Rick, I, at this point, I'm, I've written them off. Uh, USL League One had a nice little article about giving playoff probability odds for every team. And they put, I think, Toronto at 4% and Richmond at 3%. That's that's probably an accurate percent. I mean, it's not completely out of it, but it seems incredibly unlikely at this point. Fair enough. Anything but else? I on? do think Toronto is slightly better. I, I think Toronto is a slightly better team there. They create more chances. They're more dynamic as long as they can. You know, so they have the superstar in uh, Perusa. Um, so if they can cut, if they can cut out the mistakes, um, they at least have the potential to like put up some high-scoring games. Richmond seems more likely to have some zero-to-zero, one-to-one draws that would kind of pull them out of it. Yeah, I think TFC two has to hope also if if they had any chance to make the playoffs is to keep uh, Schaffelberg in the lineup the whole time because between yeah. uh, you know really when they got a lot of their wins early in the season they had both Schaffelberg and Endo uh, on the team as their right and left wingers and with those guys up with the first team it's been hard for for I, I think to get you know a lot of consistent high quality play out, out of their their wingers um, on a regular basis. Uh, so the last game of week 21 was South Georgia Tormenta 1 versus FC Tucson 1. You and I both fell asleep to this game, um, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, so in, uh, so unfortunately, in the ninth minute, uh, Lucas Coutinho did get that very bad head injury. Uh, he was subbed out. Um, but, you know, it was really, uh, again, our heart goes out to him. And, and we hope that he comes back and is able to play at some point. Uh, maybe not this season, but, uh, but, but maybe in 2020. 20. Uh, this the scoring started in this game in the 78th minute. Uh, there was a uh, a, a penalty. Uh, Saintville pushed Jones, pushed Jordan Jones right in the neck, basically, and right near the penalty mark. It, w- it was a foul. I mean, Saintville gets up like, "What did I do?" <laughs> I mean, he had two hands <laughs> on, the, uh, on the guy's <laughs> on the guy's neck in the box. I mean, it was a penalty. It was, you know, n- no doubt. Uh, Jordan Jones buries the corner. Uh, he had Hara went the other way. Hara went to his left. Jordan Jones went to his right, and uh, went, or I should say, went to Hara's right. And then uh, it was a goal. Uh, but then a little bit of a little bit more controversial is there was a corner kick and there was a push during the corner kick. And uh, in the 90, it was, a, I think, in the 92nd minute, uh, in the 95th minute, finally, Marco Micheletto takes the penalty kick and is able to uh, to put it lower left just under Valdez. I mean, really, Valdez, I think, was a little bit unlucky that he didn't get down just a hair faster. Uh, it was excellent placement by Micheletto. Um, but that was uh, all the scoring of the game. And the game ends one to one. Two very defensive teams. Neither seemed to show much urgency after the uh, after the Coutinho in, um, injury, at least not until maybe the last twenty minutes of the game. Yeah, I mean, it's wouldn't be shocking if it somehow mentally like kind of affects people, makes it tougher to get back into the game. Uh, tough to say. I mean, like I said, I I saw a similar situation in the Open Cup with Lansing, where uh, you know there was sixteen minutes of stoppage time in this game. I think that's the most I've ever seen. Uh, before that, the most I'd ever seen was eleven minutes in the in the Lansing uh, indie game in the Open Cup, and Lansing definitely just didn't look. This they were so hot in that game, and then after the the head injury, they just kind of 
just slowed down, even though they're up 10 versus 11. So, you know, stats guys like you and me, sometimes maybe we don't think about the emotion of the game as much as we should. And I think that may have dictated a good chunk of this match. Obviously, it last 20 minutes or so, you know, you start to see things pick up a little bit, uh, some intensity come back. But, you know, you see something scary like that happen. It's It's got to get to you mentally. Yeah, uh, and in fact, uh, talking about some of the stats, South Georgia had a single shot on target, and Tucson had two shots on target. And obviously, Woo! of those three, two were goals. So yeah. um, <laughs> that's, that's what that's what you had. Gomez did hit the post uh, uh, about halfway through the uh, through the second half. That that's kind of like what led to a little bit more of the urgency. It was probably the best chance from the run of play in the whole game. Um, you know, not much to say about this one. This is like if you if you had to ask me which of these games should you watch uh, over the weekend just for an entertainment value, this would not be one of them. Um, but yeah, so. Gr- Greenville Madison at zero zero was actually a lot more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you watched that one, so you would know. Yeah. So so watch Greenville Madison over that one. I, I would say actually for entertainment value, the Richmond TFC two game was uh, was was actually. Uh, pretty exciting. I mean, it was pretty back and forth because uh, the, the way TFC2 came out after the second goal in particular was was pretty good. So uh, it's week 22. As we're recording, as I mentioned, uh, the South Georgia Tormenta is playing the Chattanooga Red Wolves. Uh, my internet is telling me right now it's still one-to-one. Um, what minute are we in? Weston, uh, uh, we're in the seventy fifth, seventy fifth minute. So that's your time, your time stamp. And if uh, I, I'm sure if one goal, one team scores another goal, then Weston's going to say, "Oh darn!" Uh, somewhere. Remember, we, we try to avoid, <laughs> we try to avoid the e tag that, uh, that that capital combustion has on it. Um, anyway, so let's talk about the standings here because this is getting down to it. So uh, you know, some teams have very few games left. I think you guys have five games left if my uh, if I can do my math correctly. Most other teams have between um, between six and and eight left. North Texas still stands at the top with 1.9 points per game. There, we actually have a countdown here. So um, basically, if they win three more games, they will guarantee themselves a playoff spot. Um, so you know they only need uh, they, they have uh, they need basically nine points from eight games and to guarantee a playoff spot. So that seems very likely. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lansing 1.57 points per game. So you know, given that, even though you guys uh weston have played a lot more games you're in second place in points per game i mean that's you know i know that doesn't give you a lot of comfort i'm sure but nonetheless it uh it, it does it does bode reasonably well where if you can get a couple more results you, that just means that the all the teams behind you have to get results in order to uh, catch up south georgia tormenta though is nipping on your heels at 1.55 points per game and greenville at 1.5 Chattanooga is also kind of in that pack of two through five at 1.48. So basically, basically, you're, there's five teams fighting really for three spots. And um, and oh, you're not going to throw Madison in there. Well, I think Madison is fighting for it, but Madison Madison needs to get some results against teams ahead of them in order to make this work uh, for them. And so, you know, them beating Richmond doesn't necessarily help if, you know, Greenville, South Georgia, and Lansing get a couple of wins. It, it just, on a points-per-game basis, it doesn't help them. Um, so so they need to hope that teams ahead of them lose, and uh, that's going to be the only real way. So, so yes, they're in the hunt, but um, they're significantly, I think, have significantly lower chances than, you know, a Chattanooga or a Greenville, obviously. 
Uh, Tucson, uh, 1.25 points per game, and TFC at 1.2, Richmond 1.16. So the, so the three of them, like like you said, Weston, they basically would have to win out in order to have any shot of making the playoffs, uh, the, those those three teams. And OCB is will be mathematically eliminated if they don't win one of their next two games. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, Tucson, you know, you, like I said, you still can't quite count them out because of the home schedule. Um, like, if we were talking XG, I, I still, a lot of Madison games I've watched, I feel like they might have won XG and lost or drawn, where I'm not counting them out. Um uh, said both games with Lansing were pretty intense. Uh, but, yeah, I mean... Are we going to go ahead and predict the top four at this point? That was actually one of the questions we yeah. got. Yeah. So one of the so one of the questions we got, and I I will. Uh, so, so why don't I read this question? So one sure. of the questions that that we got was uh, USL League One put out probabilities of teams making the playoffs. Red Wolves at fifty percent making the playoffs. Greenville fifty nine percent. Madison twenty eight percent. Do we agree or disagree? And who's our top four? So who do we think will be making the playoffs? Uh, so, I mean, like you said, Texas seems pretty clear. I think League One gave their odds at like 99%. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're in good shape. Uh, said the games in hand do make me nervous for Lansing, but four out of five last games at home, that's huge. Uh, tomorrow's game is huge. Well, it'll be the same day when this pod comes out, but uh, we'll see how well, they What are you doing? There. You have to listen to this on Thursday as soon as it comes out. Come on. <laughs> yes, I, I, edit, exactly. I edit this thing like at midnight my time. So Yeah, so it'll be Thursday, which is the day you are listening to this pod because you're a loyal listener, whoever you are. But uh, that, that, I mean, right now, the way the standings are, I think when I, I, I projected them out, like I said, and we had Texas 1, Lansing 2, Tormenta 3, and then Greenville 4, Chattanooga and Madison just barely missing. I think that's the most likely scenario. Like, I, I think, and that was me using home and away games and using home points per game and away points per game to project it out. So that makes a lot of sense to me. So basically no no change in what the points per game table is at the, right now is what yeah. you just said. So Yeah, because um, the, uh, there's not like, you know, there's not enough difference in the home points per game, even though there is a difference. It helps Lansing solidify themselves and it helps Tucson inch up closer than they are now. But other than that, it doesn't significantly change things because most teams left have like four and three away you know it's it's pretty even for the rest of the teams lansing and tucson are the only two with like a big edge there i think you had mentioned last week or someone had mentioned last week on your podcast that you thought you need 11 points from your last five games was that right that did someone say that and you know you already Uh, have you already have three in the bank so um so you're looking at eight points from five games is that is that enough I, i i think that's enough to make the playoffs I'm not sure that's enough to stay in second. Yeah, that's yeah. I think I think to make the playoffs, two wins. It might depend on who they beat, but two wins and a draw probably does it. Three three or four wins, and they're probably holding on to home field. So, um, so a lot of home games. So Lansing and and their forms look good. Um, tough to. Uh, I think they probably hold on as, as a nervous fan. I don't always, you know, sometimes I feel pessimistic. Sometimes I feel optimistic. Maybe it depends on how much beer's in me in one moment. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think I think the standing staying pretty much as they are in points per game. That's what makes the most sense to me. I was a little worried about Tormenta slipping off. Um, you know, we haven't been able to watch the second half of this game. We watched the first half. Tormenta looked great in the first yeah, half. Yeah, Tormenta so. looked really good. Tormenta should have had two or three goals. Yeah, yeah so, sure. I mean, at least even if they come away with the draw, it makes me feel – a little more confident in that they can re- kind of retain or regain their early form, uh, just some of that early performance. But that's what makes the most sense to me. 
Excellent. So let's look quickly at the team of the week. Uh, so Callum Montgomery from North Texas was given the player of the week. Uh, Lansing also had three players uh, thanks to their performance over the week. Grant Stoneman, Rafa Mensigan, and Xavier Gomez. Uh, North Texas, besides Montgomery, also had Arturo Rodriguez, of course, uh, because Arturo Rodriguez needs to be on the team of the week every week, apparently. Uh, Greenville's <laughs> Dallas J because of his uh, his three saves, although one was pretty acrobatic. It was uh, it was a pretty nice save. Uh, again, kind of a mainstay on the team of the week. Madison's Olmsberg that we mentioned before had some pretty good statistics uh, on the defensive side for Madison. Toronto's Matt Serbley makes it on the list. Daniel Jackson for his brace on Richmond. Jordan Jones for scoring a penalty because he really didn't do much else except for draw and score that penalty. But I guess they wanted someone from Tucson on there. Uh, Ventner did not look good. Ventner's, you know, he we interviewed him on this show, uh, captain of the team. He uh, he did not have one of his best games. He didn't make that many mistakes, but it was definitely not one of his best games. Uh, and Tormenta had uh, Marco Micheletto for doing the same thing, just scoring a penalty. Um, <laughs> I guess when you put it away and you get the tying penalty in the waning minutes of the game, you deserve to be on Team of the Week. Um, anyone else who stood out to you, Weston, who maybe should be on the bench for the Team of the Week? Uh, hey, well, first off, for Player of the Week, man, if if Amsberg doesn't get uh, or I'm um, sorry, Amstead, Amsberg, Amsberg, uh, yeah, Amsberg. <laughs> uh, if if he doesn't have that goal taken from him, he's probably Player of the Week for me. I thought he was tremendous. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, I, I got to go to Lansing though. Uh, Elma N four man. He had he had a one shot off the post. Um, he had two should have been assists. Uh, Toomey just didn't put him away. And then he had one that he kind of assisted, but it because of the deflection he didn't get credit for an assist. But he created multiple great chances. Um, you know, it's just one of those things that doesn't show up if you're just looking at the stats after the game. But yeah, I'm gonna just go ahead and assume League One doesn't do a deep. Uh, film died before picking this team. So, uh, but yeah, I, I thought he had a tremendous game. El- Elma definitely deserves some props too. But um, you know, if Amsberg doesn't get that goal stone from him, I think he's also the player of the week instead of uh, Montgomery. Yep. Fair enough. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with two players that I would put on the bench here. I, uh, one is uh, Maxi Rodriguez for Richmond. So he hadn't been playing for Richmond for a while, uh, but he really, you know, he controlled the game a lot of the first half of that game, and I think that he would be a, a good player in possession for a team like this. Uh, you know, Brandon Troyer did his normal kind of job, but I put him on the team of the week bench last week, so I'm not gonna do that again. Uh, another player who I think you need to look look out for. Um, <clears throat> that that didn't make it here, but that would be you know basically the back line of North Texas. So the back line of North Texas did a very good job not getting caught up, not getting caught out of place, and uh, not allowing Chattanooga the room in order to counter. Um, so you know look at almost anyone on the back line of uh, North Texas this past week. All right, so moving on, uh, week two twenty uh, preview, week twenty two preview, I should say. All these times are Eastern. Thursday night, so the night hopefully that after you listen to this podcast, Lansing is hosting North Texas at 7 p.m. This won't quite be the match for the top of the table because in points per game at least you guys can't catch them. Um, (laughs) Not not after this game anyway. But if you beat them and you win next week and they were to lose – then you actually could. So, you know, this is a very important game for, for points. Uh, draw is not the worst thing in the world for either team probably at this point. But, uh, you know, obviously both teams want to win. Lansing saving serve would be uh, would be very important. Uh, Friday. Yeah, 4th, sorry, just, to, yeah, to, to, just how crazy this league is. You know, I mean, if Lansing wins, they're maybe thinking about a one seed. 
if they lose, I mean, they still have a lot of leeway, but they're also thinking about just fighting for their own playoff spot. That's that's how intense this is. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a crazy table. Yeah, and and you're you're first, right? So in a way, in this case, it's kind of bad being first, right? It's like it's like running a t- some kind of time trial and and being the first person to finish because you have to wait for everyone else <laughs> to finish behind you, right? And it's like, oh, I had a really good time, my personal best, but then the next thing you know, you know, everyone's coming in behind you, really close. And you're like, is someone going to beat me? Uh, Friday, at, of course, at 4 p.m., because that's what time we play in Toronto. Uh, Greenville Triumph is hosting uh, TFC2, so I'll watch that when I get home from work, probably, uh, assuming it's up on ESPN by that time. Can, can I go on a rant about this? This just drives me nuts every week. League One has to do something about this. I mean, yes, Toronto has no fans. They can play at four. It's great. For, for everybody else that has a job, you know, and you know, paying customers, which they kind of need. It's uh it's nice to be able to watch a game live and follow your team. I mean, that's yeah, you tweet know, it, those, not have it spoiled. Yeah. Yeah, like you know, I got to turn off my data at work and it's it's a it sucks. <laughs> well, I can, uh, but I can say too they can start at 6 because I mean, I uh, you know, I I mean, I know it's farther north than where where I live, but it's close to you. I mean, it's it's still light yeah. at 8 o'clock, right? Yeah, in, in the um, summer. Well, <laughs> So there's an MPSL team around here, Ann Arbor. They they play without lights, and uh, you know our women's team plays them. And the game started six. Now they they uh, had a controversial, I, I believe it was a playoff game, uh, get delayed mid game because there was rain delays, and then it got dark, and so that caused a lot of controversy. So <laughs> I, I guess the four o'clock start time prevents if there's like worst case scenario rain delays that push it back enough. But yes, on normal weather. Yes, we're in the north here, but it it is still light by eight o'clock. So, yeah. Well, hopefully by next year they'll they'll be able to get lights somewhere. Um, I, I find it hard to believe that that they don't have lights. I mean, it's one of the requirements to be a part of the development academies that have a field with lights. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, the the local development academy here that's not associated with a major league soccer team or any other professional team for that matter, they have lighted fields. So, anyway, regardless. Uh, on Saturday is uh, Madison versus Richmond at eight o'clock Eastern time. Uh, this has very major playoff implications, obviously for Madison, especially if Madison were n- to lose this, it would just make it even harder and harder for them to win. Richmond does have two players who are out on yellow card accumulation. Uh, Ackway and Boldick both got yellows in their game this week uh, um, against TFC two. So neither of them will be available for this game. And late at night is FC Tucson hosts Orlando City B at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. I'll watch that one on Sunday. Um, you know, let's let's talk actually a little bit. I, I was going to talk a little bit about Madison Richmond, but since you're here, Weston, let's, let's talk Lansing, North Texas, just a little bit more. Lansing needs to shut down North Texas's attack. We know that, right? If Ricardo Pepe's up there, if Atura Rodriguez is there, David Rodriguez, uh, Ronaldo Damas, Wow. I mean, that's one potent attack. Were your, you know, can Stoneman and your back line handle that kind of attack? Or are you guys going to be relying on N4 and some of your, your own attackers in order to, you know, make this a 2-2 game or keep it close? Yeah, it's, it, you know, Lansing has shown a willingness to do some man marking with elite players on the other team. But with Texas, it's tough to do that because they have too many uh, elite ones up front. Uh, you know, Lansing's backline probably doesn't get the do it deserves because we do have a lot of goals let up. But honestly, I, I don't think a lot of them have been their fault. Um, I think all three of our main backline guys are quite talented. 
Uh, we have Nick Moon retreating back more these days, and that, I think that's also helped solidify things. So um, maybe you see uh, one of the back, maybe Koifik or maybe, probably Koifik, uh, maybe man marking uh, Damus, keeping an eye on him, but everyone else. I mean, I think they could do it. The The first home game was very tight. Texas had a late comeback uh, with Pepe hitting that amazing free kick late. Uh, the home game, they, they looked great against Texas last time, and that was when Texas was uh, 5-0-0, I believe. So uh, I, I think they can do it. Uh, I'm thinking it'll probably be a draw again, but and I would take a draw, honestly, for this one. Uh, but, yeah, Madison-Richmond's also an interesting one. Um, that that might be a win or go home game to some extent, because um, if Madison doesn't take care of a take care of a lower team like that, I mean at the, at the schedule just gets harder from there. That that was the big edge in their schedule that we thought. Looking at it, we're like, oh, they get to play Richmond three times. That's now it's not looking so great to do yep. that. Uh, but I thought Madison dominated that first game, and uh, you know Richmond. Uh, <laughs> Gallardo was really impressive. I thought maybe he was a little selfish at times too. Um, so yeah, I'd like if to see Richmond one, connect if, a little better. Yeah, if there's one, uh, if there's one thing that you have to say about Gallardo, he's given a very free role, but he doesn't, he doesn't like to give up the ball, right? So he no, does get no. a, be a little selfish, which, which you could, we, you could argue for number ten. That's not quite what you want them always to do, right? You want them to be, you know, you'd rather have them have more assists than goals, really. Um, but you know, that's one of the things that Coach Bulo has to has to contend with because I think for that particular for Richmond right now, who else would you put in that spot if Gallardo's healthy, right? So, you know, would you put Maxi Rodriguez or would you put um would you put maybe Bolduck there? Um, you know, the, you have other options, but I don't think any are as good on the ball and uh, than as Gallardo, right? And that's and that's I think part of the issue that that the kickers have. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in the offseason to see if they either, you know, work with Gallardo to to play a little bit differently or not and you know madison's front line i think in this one given that madison's playing at home again um i think that they're going to want revenge i think that you know jc banks paolo jr and um uh and don smart are gonna are gonna put a banger or two onto fitz akira fitzgerald and if Fitzgerald's up to the task then richmond has a shot but i I don't see Richmond keeping a clean sheet in this one again. I think they got a little lucky last time. and They survived. And, that was a yeah. survival game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, All right, shall we go on to questions? Oh, boy. Okay, so let's start with one that, that's not a, uh, a troll of Weston Shelton. Um, so this is from the Flormingo, David Magnus. Uh, he asks, what do, you th- think, uh, what do you think is the best – team area of the field uh there are a lot of good individual players but whose midfield backs forwards and coaches uh, are the best as a group um so i i'm not, and then he says you know maybe rank the back lines the best midfield the best attack but instead of ranking them maybe you know if if you had to put together a team and you just said okay here's the the front three here's the midfield three here's your back four even though you know you guys sometimes play back three, but let's just yeah. let's just say you know backline midfield. You know if you had to choose one, who whose would you choose? And you can't choose them from the same team. So Weston, why don't you go first with your uh, let's say with your backline? Oh man, put me on the spot. Uh, backline. I mean, if it's one teams, I guess you got to go Greenville. I mean, I, I I talked about Madison center back combo really liking them, but Greenville just uh, left or right is really strong, and, and that's why they've given up the least goals in the league. At least a good part of it, they're physical. Uh, they're tough. I mean, obviously their press up front's part of that, but they shut it down when it gets deep. Uh, yeah. So 
Uh, probably Greenville. That's that's the obvious one. A goalkeeper. Are we doing goalkeeper too? Yeah, I guess yeah, I think, he did. He asked for goalkeepers as well. Oh so, man, uh, I mean that's a single goalkeeper, right? So, yeah, yeah, I know, right? It's, not, it's tough to say a Mangles, squad of goalkeepers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's either Mangles or Cleveland. I'm gonna have a different one for Lansing, so I'll probably say Mangles. Okay, yeah, f- fair enough. Um, so I'm gonna go with. Uh, so I'll go with Dallas J. And then I'm going to go with Tormenta's defense. Um, so I like Tormenta's defense. I like how they help in the uh, the attack and and are able to, uh, you know, have been at least for until the last couple of weeks really been able to shut down, uh, shut down a lot of attacking uh, defenses and be able to uh, to start counters very very quickly. Well, one uh, quick question on Jay. I mean, obviously you look at the clean sheets and they're great, right? But I, I believe he's like for all the main goalkeepers, he's last in saves per game because his team yeah. doesn't make him face that many shots. I mean, yeah, do you that's think fair. he's still overrated because of that? Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, I, I I like Cleveland as well. I mean, I, I would still have to put him in the top three of goalkeepers. Yeah, league, I'm not though. saying it's bad. I just, I, yeah. I just, you know, it's always like, oh, clean sheets. Look at all those clean sheets. And I'm like, oh, he, he get, I think he's at 1.7 saves per game. Both Mangles and Cleveland are around three saves a game. So, I mean, it, it is partially the defense. Yeah, no, that that's very fair. That's very, very fair. Uh, and, yeah, obviously, though, you also have to think about, you know, is I would think that Dallas J is also part of that because, you know, you play goalkeeper as well. You know that helping organize that back line matters too, right? So it's also it's also the leadership qualities, I think, that Dallas has as well. Like, I just yeah, – like, listening to the game, um, uh, one of the games where – I think it was after the lightning game when they had like a two-hour delay and they came back and there was no one in the stadium. You could hear everything and you could hear him just yelling at his back line, just making sure that everyone was picking up, that everyone was was organized. So sure. anyway, that's that that's where I would go there. Uh, so I'll take a midfield. Um, I'll you know this is a little bit of a cop out, but I'm taking North Texas's midfield. Um, <laughs> I, I'm taking David and Otoro Rodriguez <laughs> and and, uh, um, and Jada. So um, I, I think I think those three. You know, I think you have to put them as, if not the best, then then among the best two. Um, it, just the way that they hold possession, the way that they pass, the way that they move without the ball. Uh, Jada, you know, I, I always like myself a good number six, and and Jada is one of the I think top three in the league, uh, behind Walfe and uh, Eric Leonard. So. Anyway, that's uh, that's my midfield pick. Who's yours, Weston? You have a. Well, I was going to split it and say a defensive mid and attacking mid. Oh well, you uh, can do you can do that yeah. as long as you don't pick North Texas because those are. My oh, well, I was going to pick North Texas for attacking. <laughs> I, I could pick up for forward. I, but, I'm kidding. Uh, you can't. Yeah, uh, but defensive mid, I, I'd go Lansing. That's I think that's been the strength of their team is the that numbers that double pivot combo with uh, Serta and X uh, Xavier Gomez. They've been awesome back there. Xavier Gomez. A little more free roaming, a little more attacking. The serial kind of the more steady guy covering the holes. Uh, I think that's been a big uh, since Xavier Gomez has been moved to that role. That's been a big reason for Lansing improving, in my opinion. Uh, and I think I saw Stan Fatmob. I mean, he's Xavier Gomez is third in possession one in the final third, and I believe he's uh, in you know the opposing third, and right. I believe he's first in possession one in the midfield. So, I mean, he's a beast in there. Yeah, uh, that, yeah that, that, that's how you press, right? So yeah. that, that's really that midfield press that really helps uh, that really helps Lansing quite a lot and win a lot of balls and and it makes it danger on the, dangerous on the counter too, right? And and yeah. it's also you, you get a lot of set pieces that way as well, right? Because Gomez gets the ball and then the next thing you know he you know gets it to one of the wings and everyone's just so frustrated that they lost the ball in midfield that they just like get angry and foul, right? But but yeah, on the attacking side, I mean it's got to be Texas, just a wealth of attackers. I mean, since uh, Lansing has shifted up their formation, I think they're up there, but I picked them for defensive mid. Yeah. So, so um, I, I, I would say I, w- 
for the for the attackers. So I was thinking of a front three, and you know what's interesting is my my initial thought, just because I like Jordan Peruza so much, uh, was to, to think about TFC two. The the thing about TFC two, I'd say with Schaffelberg, Endo, and and. Jordan Peruza, I would say that that would be my front three, but some of them don't play in the league anymore. So, so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take them out of the uh, out of the equation, and and I think I'm gonna actually go with Madison's. I really like how Paolo Junior and Don Smart. You could take him. You could. That was mine. Uh, you could, it's, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of Don Smart. Man, I've I've seen him play. I mean, he he roasted us once in Lansing. That, that dude's extremely talented. Um, yeah, I mean, they got that Loney from Memphis is pretty good. Paulo Jr., a, a lot of talent up there. I mean, obviously, Texas might win. Well, they probably do win for me. If I can pick two, because you could take Damis and, and Pepe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, since I can't, I'll, I'll go Madison. Yeah. I, I was thinking also because I, I really like how I, I really like Pacey Winger. So Devin Jenga was, was up there for me, too. So um, but I, I don't know if I, I question a little bit about the rest of the uh, um the rest of the FC Tucson uh, front line all, all the time. I think they're just not consistent enough for, for my liking. All right. So David, we hope we, we answered your question. So I think we were pretty much on the same page with, with those uh, stealing each other's uh, picks. So, uh, so we had a couple of questions from Ken Seelman. Do you know Ken Seelman? Weston? Yeah. Yes, I do. He's someone, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah so he's so a, first he's in our assembly line. Group, so, so, yeah. so, so firstly, I, I really like this question. If the opposing team during warm-ups takes an errant shot that destroys someone's beer who's responsible for the replacement of that beer so this has happened in the summer line multiple times because you know we're literally right on top of the goal so warm-ups it's 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 kind of dangerous honestly like you really got to keep your head up uh i'd say there's been there's been one hand that like actually got a little injured stopping a warm-up ball and there's been two beers taken out Usually the player just waves and says sorry, and we're like, "That's not good enough. Go, get out, get in the stands and buy us a beer." <laughs> so uh, the front, the, we'll build the front office of the other team, whoever, you know, yeah, put it, on, put it on the check. Well, okay. I mean, my my take on this is, you know, you're sitting behind a goal during warmups. It's on you. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's face it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, people are just like talking and and like having a good time. I'm like, yeah, yeah should that, that's not a good idea. Laser focused right now. Yeah. Like, I you mean, should not be talking. The only place to do that is if you're like right behind the net, where it's yeah, going to no, go yeah, into the not net. behind the net. And, and honestly, so no, no, uh, I see where you are. Yeah, you're up high, right? You're. And if I'm being honest, a lot of times we're trying. You know, they're warming up. We're the supporters. We're trying to get in their heads. So usually, we're like, hit me in the face. Come on, hit me in the face. So we we kind of ask for it too. If I'm being honest, <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I wouldn't ask to be hit in the face with a with a soccer ball from one of those guys. You know, I'm a goalkeeper. I'm ready to swat him in. I'm good to go. <laughs> Beer in one hand, swatting with the other. That's what I do. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ken also asks: With the 2020 season still a little bit ways off, but additional teams joining the league, do we see the table being split into two conferences with the first versus second in each conference? I. I even if we go up to 16 teams next year, I don't think that that will be the case. I think we're more likely to have like a, a balanced schedule of, you know, 30 ish games, something like that. And then, um, and then playoffs still the, maybe the top four, maybe they'll do something like top six where one and two get buys the first round. Um, but I think more than likely it would be, uh, yeah, you know, so you'd have, you'd have basically three rounds of playoffs. You'd have, you know, three versus six, four versus five. And then, and then each of them would play one versus two, uh, you know, similar to how MLS does it. I, I don't think that at this point we would go now, you know, what, 
what do you th- how many teams do you think we would need to go to in order to get two conferences, Weston? Do you think 10, uh, 20, 10 in each conference, 20 maybe? Uh, so, I mean, in that athletic article that came out, Edwards said he wanted to have conferences by 2021. I can't imagine we'd have more than 22 or so at that point. So, yeah, it might be conferences of like 11 or something in those 30 games, like you said. Uh, we, we were kind of looking at the map the other day, and it's like, you know, they really – it'd be kind of dumb to do a Western versus Eastern conference at this point. It would probably be a North versus a South conference, at least right now. They, they maybe would adjust it over time as more teams come in, but I kind of see a North versus South conference. And, but I, I don't think it's gonna be t- till 2021. And that's kind of what Jake Edwards said in his interview. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, we know we have, uh, we know we have Omaha coming in. We know that there'll be a number of MLS two teams that'll come down, you know, a- MLS and USL are fighting about, you know, how many and who and, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I do suspect that we'll have, you know, at least maybe not half a dozen, but maybe three or four more, uh, uh, two teams come down. I don't know at this point if Rochester and Penn FC are going to be ready to come back in 2020, which is really unfortunate. I was really hoping that they would. Um, I mean, for me, I would actually go to a whole bunch of probably Penn FC matches and I'd love to see more games live if I could, but unfortunately, um, it doesn't seem like they're, they're really finding the the things that they need, like stadia and stuff like that, that to, in order to play. Um, yeah. But but I, I I agree. I mean, twenty teams probably means you have two conferences of ten, would be my guess. Yeah, a listener pointed out that there's a, a Rochester Rhinos interview up on that uh, Uncle Sam soccer podcast. I listened to part one, but it was more about the past. Uh, the part two is supposed to be about the future, so that'll be a pretty interesting one to see if we can get some more info on where the uh, Rhinos stand for coming back. Yeah, I saw that today, too. I didn't have a chance to listen to it. Um, okay, so here we go. Ken's last question he said, are other podcast hosts stat freaks or is it just Weston? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Some of us are. And I'm one, too. So I have read Soccernomics just like Weston. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I, I have read books like um, – uh, like inverting the pyramid, which, by the way, if you haven't read it, it's absolutely fascinating great to read book, great uh, book. about it. Um, matter of fact, I'm thinking about writing an article about reinverted the pyramid. We've reinverted the pyramid just because ah. of the style that most teams play. So I'm thinking that's a, a thing I'm thinking about putting up on BGN.FM after I look at the U.S. soccer rules, uh, which is something that's actually uh, in editorial right now. Um, so Ken, do you, you know of other soccer nerds like us? Uh. Oh, you called me Ken. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at Ken's name. That's why. <laughs> Football Hackers is another great book that just came out. Uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of it. Yeah. And, and it talks, you know, it's an interesting book because it talks about the weaknesses of stats. And, and I think that's an important thing to point out. I, no one that likes stats, or I mean, I guess there's people out there, that analytics people that don't watch the games, but most of us that are on a podcast talking about it, we like stats as extra context. Uh, they help inform our opinions to make sure we're not like getting too off base you know that our cognitive biases aren't taking over so uh beyond on my co- on my podcast as you know it's, it's a constant battle I, i'm podcasting a bunch of neanderthals i just think <laughs> numbers are the worst thing ever so most people are in my camp it's just not on my podcast and, and if and if you don't know i'm an economist by training so uh number numbers are kind of my my Soccer go-to topics right up your alley man. exactly exactly <laughs> Um, so, uh, sorry for calling you Ken, Mr. Shelton, uh, USL league one fanatic, a new follow that I have on, uh, on Twitter. 
he asks or she asks because I don't know. I guess the fan- <laughs> fanatic can be gender neutral. With the playoff race being so close, what would happen to the league's credibility if a team missed the playoffs because of a blown call by the ref? Uh, I mean, you know, tech, the playoff race has already been altered by bad calls, right? Like, I mean, yeah, it'll be maybe more – people will be more upset if it would happen in the last game of the season. But, you know – Lansing has two very bad examples that we, we we're still buttered about. Uh, you know, Madison can probably look at that one. I mean, I see stuff on Twitter. Greenville fans are upset about certain games. I see stuff on Twitter every week. So, I mean, it's not, I, I don't think it would be that much worse. Everyone already has the opinions they have. Um, I know you guys have talked about it a bit. Uh, you know, I, I think League One, rather than being so, like, friggin' uh, like a dictatorship and just crushing all dissent, I, I think they should – Look, take an example from higher up leagues uh, that and uh, have more transparency. And, you know, obviously you find people that criticize the rest, but uh, that's just what they do. But I think more transparency, you know, I, I know Nate Miller, a certain call, he never got like any real word back about what happened. Um, I was listening to uh, Daryl Shore's interview on uh, Let Me Be Forward, and, and I think he also said he hasn't heard back about, you know, the offsides call. So, they just don't get anything, and that builds up frustration. So I don't think it'll affect anything because it's already out there. We already know about the issues. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it, I don't think the league will lose credibility. I think this is a known problem and that, you know, any uh, as you're trying to build credibility, you certainly want better officiating, better referees. I agree with you, though, Weston, is that I think – more transparency is better. So I've actually reached out to PRO, the Professional Referees Organization, which is actually, it's kind of was started and kind of sort of owned by by Major League Soccer. I mean, kind of Major League Soccer, some and PRO kind of are, are intertwined uh, type of entities. But they they still assign all the referees for all of these matches, NWSL, League One, Championship, and as well as Major League Soccer. And they have yet to get back to me. I mean, there's no press contact. There's no media relations people. They do some interesting content, too. So they actually look at the VAR calls that they do in MLS, and they actually do a good job trying to explain, here's what happened. And they even admit when something was wrong, which is interesting, too. They say, like, look, this VAR call shouldn't should have been different. Or they say this should have been video reviewed, and it wasn't. And this was, like, a miss. Um, you know, which is, which is good education, I think, for both fans and for the referees themselves, right? Um, so I, I think we need uh, – we do need more transparency, both from the league and, and also from pro. I mean, I would love to know from pro, like, you know, what's, what's it like to become a referee? Like, I would love to see a 30-minute documentary, what it's like to become a professional referee and go up through the ranks – because, you know, I'm a referee myself, but I'm certainly not at that level, right? I've, I've done DA games and, and pretty high-level, you know, youth games, U18, U23 games, but never, you know, never a game like a Lansing uh, match. And uh, I, I think it's underappreciated how difficult that job is, and it's just even harder now in the day of when you know that video review exists, you know, how do you, how do you not use a tool in, uh, in, in leagues when it's potentially available? But you know, we we can we can talk about that till we're blue in the face, but but ultimately, <laughs> and ultimately, it's a money issue. I mean, more than anything, yeah. in my more than likely. Yeah, and I said, I, I just think uh, I, you know, I think the league is worried about losing credibility, and that's why they don't address the officials the way they should. But weirdly, if you're open about the mistakes, it almost gives you more credibility. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that's <laughs> something the league is lacking at this point. Hopefully, 
they are able to reevaluate. Um, maybe they got people got in their ears at the last USL meeting. Who knows? But uh, maybe they re- reevaluate and think about doing things differently next yeah. year. Well, I know uh, the last last thought on this from me is I know that for MLS teams, they actually review every game that goes that goes on, that there's a couple of referees and they, they go through the game, they go through the calls, they, especially the controversial ones. I don't know if they do that for the championship and league one. I hope they do. And I, you know, if, and if, a, and if a referee does a particularly bad job, they're actually sat, like they're not allowed to referee for a little while until they, um, un, until they kind of get remediated. So, you know, I'm assuming that happens in league one and, and the championship, but we don't know that. So again, it's that transparency thing that would be really nice to have. Mm-hmm. All right, Weston, where can people connect with you? Um, the best place would be a uh, cap combustion on Twitter. I have my own account, Weston Shelton, but it's probably mostly going to be Pistons takes coming up. So but a cap combustion for the League One stuff. Uh, we also have an Instagram now. Uh, we, we usually do some live thoughts after games. Uh, me and uh, fellow uh, podcaster Cam are going to be doing some day drinking. We'll probably take some Instagram stories. So that might, <laughs> might be fun, you know. So it's Thirsty Thursday for Lansing Dollar Beer. So, of course, it makes sense to start drinking around 2 o'clock, right? So uh, that, that's the plan. So check us out on Instagram. <laughs> And it's and it's the summer and obviously you don't have a job so, uh, yeah. no. <laughs> That's, yeah. I, uh, I I scheduled around this special day. <laughs> very, very, very special nice. day. Very, very nice. So luckily you're given enough vacation days to make this work. That's perfect. Yes, yes, very important to me. So Jason can be found at Home Sweet Soccer on Twitter, and uh, you can see all of his open shirt pictures there if you oh, uh, want want to go look. I can be found at Ira Jersey, and you can connect with the show at League One. That's League and the number one fun. Thanks very much for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and check out BGN.FM for other great soccer podcasts like Capital Combustion and other written content covering USL League One, USL Championship, USL League Two, NWSL, MLS, and more. Weston, do you want to do our sponsorship ad? Oh, I'd love to. Uh, First, but real quick, man, people are going to be sliding into Jason's DMs after we after we did this. So, uh, (laughs) RIP to your DMs, Jason. Um, Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at RoughneckScarves.com. It, you know, roughneck scarves sounds intense, you know. So you got you got to read it that way. It it really it really does. I have a lot of roughneck scarves. I actually just got <laughs> another one. We're going so next week. Uh, the national team is coming here, part of their victory tour. They're going to be down in Philadelphia, and uh, so of course I had to break out my roughneck scarves, uh, <laughs> national team scarves, which uh, was very cool. My daughter is very excited uh, to see them again because we went to one of their games back in February for the uh, She Believes Cup. So, Weston, thanks very much again for being on this on the pod with me. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm sure you guys will talk about it next week, but just to update everyone, one to one for a torment to Chattanooga. So, yet another draw. It's been it's been crazy. The amount of That's, draws they've man, made me every, happy. Everything is going Lansing's way. <laughs> Everything's so. coming up, Weston. Let's go. Until next time, please support local soccer. <laughs>